Today on the Women Mind the Water Art of a Series on WomenMindTheWater.com, I am speaking with Bonnie Monteleone. Bonnie is the co-founder of the Plastic Ocean Project, a nonprofit seeking science-based solutions to the global plastic pollution crisis. The Plastic Ocean Project empowers people to make choices that improve the health of humans and the environment. Bonnie has collected marine plastic from sites across the globe and mentored students to conduct their own projects. Bonnie is also an accomplished artist. She uses marine plastic to create powerful stories about how widespread plastics are and their impacts on the world. The Women Mind the Water Art of a Series podcast on womenmindthewater.com engages artists in conversations about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. I am speaking with Bonnie Monteleone, co-founder of the Plastic Ocean Project. In addition to that role, Bonnie is a researcher, environmental science educator, filmmaker, and artist. As a researcher, Bonnie has collected marine plastic on a global scale. She collaborated with Charles Moore, who was credited in 1997 with the discovery of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Bonnie is affiliated with the Environmental Studies Department at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington where she works as an adjunct instructor of plastic marine debris field studies. She also serves as an advisor for students conducting research on marine plastic. Additionally, Bonnie is an artist who uses the plastic she's collected to create visual stories about her research. Welcome, Bonnie. You are a busy lady. Clearly, you are passionate about understanding marine plastic and sharing that knowledge with others. I'm looking forward to hearing more about you, your work, and solutions to the plastic crisis. In a year filled with stories about global warming and declining biodiversity, news involving solutions is most welcome. Before we take a dive into the subject of marine plastic, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and how important was the ocean to you as a child? Well, Pam, thank you so much for having me, and I'm delighted to share this story. So I actually come from landlocked Elmira, New York. It wouldn't be until I was about five years old that I would see the ocean for the very first time. But that left an indelible imprint on my brain. You know, my mother had these dishes that had oceans on them with people on beaches and fancy umbrellas. And I, you know, I didn't know what that was about, but it looked like a lot of fun. So when my dad took me to New Jersey shore to see the ocean for the first time, it was then that I recognized what those plates and dishes were about and just how vast and beautiful and even smaller I felt. And I never forgot that moment. And that moment carried on through my entire life. Lovely. So when did you become aware that plastic might be a problem? Well, it's kind of not a straight line, Pam. Um, I started actually in graduate or undergraduate school in journalism and um, in the arts. And then I decided I would go back to school to get my master's to be a scientific writer. So my initial intention was really to write about other people's research, not create my own. 
one of the courses that I was taking, I had learned about Charlie Moore and the work that he had done and the uh, publication that he did in uh, 1999. And that was telling the story about how plastic is accumulating uh, thousands of miles away from land. And, you know, it was one of those things that got in my crawl. I just couldn't let it go. I wanted to know more. So it was through my master's program that I was able to meet up with Charles Moore and travel across the North Pacific gyre on a 50-foot catamaran, 30 days at sea. And I got to actually witness the garbage patch with my own eyes. And that just led to more research in the North Atlantic, asking the question, if plastic is accumulating in the North Pacific, is it happening in the North Atlantic? And then because there was this surge of people all asking the same question about plastic in the ocean, I got to work with Five Gyres Institute, where they were sampling all five gyres, uh, looking at plastics and then trying to quantify just how much is out there. And their numbers came to 2.25 trillion pieces of plastic particles and even the large piece of plastics floating on the ocean surface globally. In 2012, I worked with former members of the BBC producing the film A Plastic Ocean. So I went to the South Pacific and I conducted research there as well. And uh, that that's one place that people can find more about the work that I do. So that was the hook. It was the hook that started with learning about Charlie Moore. And it's now turned me into a research scientist as well as um, an educator. Well, some of my listeners may remember that I have covered the Great Pacific Garbage Patch a while back with um, Pam Longabardi, who's a conceptual artist based at Georgia State University. Pam's Drifters Project tells the story of plastic that she's collected all around the world and how the forces of nature affect the plastic and how plastic is affected by the marine world. But for our audience who may not be familiar with the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, I'd appreciate it if you describe what it is and what we'd see if we were to travel there with you. You know, Pam, I'm really glad you're asking this question because the, the gyre circulation systems cause some confusion. So some people think that if there wasn't plastic, there wouldn't be a gyre. But it's actually a natural occurring circulation system that it happens in our ocean. So it's really one ocean. And just like our blood has to move around our body, if it gets stagnant anywhere, it causes problems. It's the same way with the ocean. So there are ocean currents that travel along the continental rim in certain regions in the, in the ocean. And those currents create like a whirlpool. I, I liken it to like um, when you were a kid, did you ever get in a round swimming pool and you'd all run in a circle to create a current, right? Yeah, and that so sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So with that current, you know, you're doing it because you're moving every, the water in one direction. Mm -hmm. And if you were to throw leaves on the top of that pool, those leaves would migrate to the center where there's the least amount of energy, right? So that's the same thing that's happening with these gyres. As these currents travel around the continental rim, they're creating somewhat of like a whirlpool. And the water that's in the middle has less weather and less currents. So therefore that plastic can migrate to the middle of these circulation systems. And there are essentially five of them. So there's one in the North Pacific, South Pacific, North Atlantic, South Atlantic, and Indian Ocean. 
And so when we talk about these circulation systems, this is a really good place for us to go look for plastics because it's, there's no people there. So if there is indeed a problem, it's a great place to look where there's the least amount of people so that we can then assess it and quantify it and then figure out how to fix this problem. That's a wonderful description. I would like to ask, I was under the impression that while the gyre is a circular area of water, that the garbage patch itself is not exactly one big pool, that it's actually stretched over an area. Am I correct? Yes. And that's an, another very good point. You know, when people talk about, let's just get out there with nets and scoop the surface of the ocean and clean up the gyres. When we talk about the North Pacific, it's actually 10 million nautical square miles. You couldn't possibly skim it in the length of time that more would be ending up out there, right? So it would be rather futile. So that this, um, and, and the other really important point is that it does accumulate in pockets. Right. So it can, in certain conditions, accumulate where there's convergence. So where there's cold water and warm water, that will create almost like a trough or plastic as well as marine life to accumulate. So it's it's not as pretty as, say, you know, it's just this one little spot or in, in certain areas. It just really depends a lot on current and weather. And that's what's driving a lot of what, why we're finding plastics in certain locations. How did you decide where to start? First of all, it was this class that I was learning about the problem, and then it, it caused me to explore more. So I just was fortunate enough to work in a science building. So I worked in the chemistry department at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and I had access to all the different scientists that I would need to speak with in order to learn about all the different properties of, say, currents. So I would sit down with an oceanographer to learn about what is plastic, what is it made out of, I would work with a polymer chemist to learn about the chemistry of plastics and the way those chemicals leach out as well as adsorb into plastics. I had to work with an organic chemist to learn about the different fish species and who's impacted by these plastics. I had to work with marine biologists. And so it was this just a hub of information for me to really garner just what was happening with this plastic, and then being able to show what I learned through my research through art. So this was the way it went from science into the art field. What is your secret to combating the feeling of being overwhelmed by the immensity of the issue? Yeah, it is, it is very difficult because every day we're learning more and more, right? So recycling is not perfect. And in fact, it needs a lot of work. All of the solutions to this plastic problem, it's, there's not one silver bullet and there's not going to be. So um, my hope comes from the people I get to work with. So the fact that I get to teach a course that I designed through this university, I get students coming in with, with the same wide eyes as I had when I wanted to learn about this issue. And I get to teach them all the things that I've learned that it took me many years to learn. I can teach in pretty much a class so that they can then go out and either start doing research of their own. We get them collaborating with other scientists. We get them working out in the field and we also get them working with industry. And that's my hope, Pam that we are creating a movement through this university and through this nonprofit that I started in order to galvanize the need to stop this full of this plastic problem. 
So let's switch gears for just a minute and let's talk about your artistic work. Um, be a virtual docent and describe a piece that you've created and the message in parts to the viewer. The sea turtle that I created out of beached plastics. So here in North Carolina, we have beachcombers that actually are looking for the turtle tracks when they come in. So every morning they're out there looking for the turtles, where their nesting site is, putting uh, some kind of protection around that nesting site, but they're also picking up trash. And so there was one woman in particular, um, uh, Ginger Taylor, who was keeping it and then quantifying it. So she approached me. She says, Bonnie, I've got all this plastic that I collected from the beach, you know, trying to protect the turtles. Would you help me design a sea turtle out of the trash? So we did design this turtle. It's absolutely beautiful. It now hangs in the Karen Beasley Sea Turtle Hospital here in North Carolina. And because we have all the statistics about the quantities of plastic that she was able to pick up just from her individual efforts. So the very bottom of the carapace is actually flip-flops that we tied together with straws, the very straws that we picked up on the beach. So it really does look like the bottom of a turtle, as well as the flippers are actually flippers that people brought to the beach and lost. And then uh, the eyes are actually made out of goggles. So it's just really a, a really awesome piece that has been hanging there, I think, for about eight years now. So let's talk about the organization that you co-founded, the Plastic Ocean Project. It's been a decade now. How has the organization grown and what do you think keeps it going? It's growing because there's such an interest in this topic and there should be. Uh, according to the UN Environmental Sciences, they say it's second to climate change. That's how serious this problem is. It's ending up in all life, not just marine life, but even in humans, right? So we're now finding out that it's been found in human placenta, as well as bloodstreams. Um, a new paper just came out that they're actually finding plastic particles in whale blubber. So it's, it's really integrating into life itself. And because of that, people want answers. Like, you know, we can study this problem from every aspect, but what do we do about it? And that's where people need to be able to turn to work like I do, because there's very little that our government is taking on on that front. So as you may know, like the recycling is, is unfortunately abysmal. I think we're down to 5%. We're going in the wrong direction. 5% of plastics are now being recycled in the United States. The problem is that there's no place for it to go. It does not fit within the realm of the existence of this planet. There is no bacteria that can digest it in a length of time like a banana peel or paper or cardboard. And so it really, it, it doesn't function in the way life works on this planet. And if we can really get our heads around that, every time we take that piece of plastic, we really looked at it and said, yeah, this is going to be here for at least 100 years, but some of it most likely closer to 1,000. Unfortunately, there are not many solutions. So we go into the market and we don't want to buy uh, our uh clothes soap in a plastic bottle, but there is only one alternative on the shelf in a cardboard box and it's got phosphorus in it. 
And I don't want that either. So sometimes you you have the awareness, but the option isn't there. Yes. So yeah, I love that you use that example, though. Can we talk about that one a little bit? Because that's such a really great example. You know, and you're mostly paying for water, right? About you're paying for a plastic bottle and water, and the soap that you get is is not as going to last as long as say a bar of soap. What's the workaround for that? You know, every community has soap makers. And so this idea of how do we move away from plastic really is about how do we buy local? Where do we find the the artisans that are actually making healthy soap without those harmful chemicals, right? right? Without all those uh, perfumes and um, unfortunately other nasty chemicals that you're getting when you buy a lot of these commercial soaps. So we can start solving some of these issues by buying local. And that means going to your local farmer's market. Yes, it's one more step. We have to you know, figure out where these people are and how do we support them and making it time in our schedules in order to, to buy from local vendors. But in the long run, we're gonna use a whole lot less plastic and we'll get a lot healthier things, whether it's stuff that we eat or stuff that we put on our bodies. Well, all we can do is keep trying and, you know, making a noise when you have the energy to do that. And not everyone can be as creative or energetic as you are in their desire to address marine pollution. So what advice can you offer to individuals who'd like to make a difference? Supporting your local nonprofit. So every every location now has some group that's out there doing cleanups. You know, volunteer your time, uh, help support them financially so that they can grow and do more work on combating the plastic issues in their community. Uh, large, not, you know, large nonprofits are important, but that money will go somewhere that's not going to so much support your community. So I would say that's a really great place to start. Look in your community who's working on this issue. And there are plenty. Now, we are very fortunate, Pam, because not only do we do cleanups, we actually have a program called Trees for Trash. For every 25 pounds of trash we pick up, we're planting trees. So removing what doesn't belong and putting back what does, right? But we also have a full-service research lab. So we have other universities who don't, do not have the instrumentation that we have relying on us to run their samples for them. We now have two contracts with for-profit businesses, right? So they want to know how much plastic waste they're generating when they recycle their plastic. So they want to look at the water before it goes in uh, to wash the, the plastics and then looking at it after are plastic sloughing off of the plastics in the cleaning process? These are really important questions, you know, and things that no one would ever think of, except for the fact that the pressure from society is saying, we want this solved. And where there's a problem, there is money in order to support those efforts. And that's where I see the hope is that we, we've got to support businesses that are trying to do the right thing, but also people, nonprofits that are actually working on the problem as well. So as someone who works with students, what advice do you have for them? What I tell the young people is, you know, when I, especially when I have my classes, how many of you are hopeful for the future? You know, put your hand up. There are no hands. There are no hands, Pam. There's no one that they realize we are in trouble. And then I'll say, 
Well, when there's a lot of problems, that means there's a lot of opportunity for you to do what you love and get paid for it. I'm really grateful that you were here on the podcast. And I'd like to remind my listeners that I've been speaking with Bonnie Monteleone, an educator, researcher, and artist focused on marine plastic. Bonnie is also the co-founder of the Plastic Ocean Project, a nonprofit seeking science-based solutions to the global plastic pollution crisis. Bonnie Monteloni is the latest guest on the Women Mind the Water Artivist Series podcast. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com, Museum on Main Street, and YouTube. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on womenmindthewater.com, on iTunes, and Spotify. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the use of her song, Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.